you probably all heard the, the term of sleeping like a baby, right? Being out like a light. Uh, when our children were toddlers, Aaron would tuck them in bed, say their prayers with them, and turn off the light saying, sleep all through the night and wake up happy in the morning. I think that that was more for Aaron's benefit than for, <laughs> than for the children. Sleep all through the night, wake up happy in the morning. Of course, the corollary for us older folks is to I sleep like a baby. It means that you wake up every three hours and cry, okay? And uh, it does seem to be a little bit of... Yeah, Jay, uh, Nathan is smiling over there. Uh, your baby is probably doing fine at night now, right? Ah, oh, yeah, ah, oh, ah. Oh. Okay, well, I'm sure it's universal that when you were young and out late with your parents that you woke up in bed in the morning with no idea of how you got there. Hasn't everybody had that experience or once in twice? I remember unstrapping my kids from their uh, car seats fumbling with the belt, you know. It used to be easier when they, your parents could just dump you in the backseat of the station wagon, you know, pick you up off the floor, drag you into the house. Now you have to get the car seats apart. You have to get the kid out. You bang him on the headliner trying to get him out of the seat. And luckily, no matter how much you wake them up, by the time you get them on your shoulder, carry them into the house, in our case it was upstairs to bed, they would be asleep. They would have no idea that they had been anywhere the night before. Kids are that way. They can they sleep through anything. I mean, we'd hear a thump, you know, in the house and go looking, you know, and kid fell out of bed, sleeping on the floor now. We'd wake up. Niels would be upside down, backwards, over the edge of his bed with his uh, tongue sticking out, you know, and he slept that way all night. You know, what is it about kids that you can do those kind of things? Ah, to sleep like a baby. It's a good talent to have, especially as the Apostle Paul found out when you're scheduled to be executed the next day. Now, last week in Acts 2, 1 through 5, we read this. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Herod, using a king's right of the sword, had the apostle James executed. Uh, if there was a trial for James, and some say maybe there was, but it's not recorded in scripture. Um, I've seen commentators say he used the divine right of kings, the, uh, the uh, sword of the king, to just arbitrarily execute James if there had been any trial at all there, it would have been a show trial it would have just been brought before the people for a semblance of legality kill James this action as it says pleased the Jews so Herod 
had Peter seized as well. Now, holding Peter through the week-long Passover observance, planning, as it says, to bring him out to the people after the Passover had ended, really means this. Bring him out was a Hebrew euphemism in the law that meant showing him to the people before he was executed. Some think, once again, there might have been a show trial held, but the whole point of Peter, uh, of Herod bringing Peter out before the people was to execute him after the Passover, when it wouldn't offend the people, and when most people would be, the most people would be in Jerusalem to see this happen. At any rate, upon his arrest, Peter knew that his time was short. Today we're looking at the next five verses, Acts 12, 6 through 11, and they read, Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Now, I don't know about the rest of you, but before, say, setting off on a long road trip or when some event is scheduled for the next day, my mind gets to working, and I really cannot sleep. And especially, you know, knowing that I drive across the country once, twice, sometimes up to four times a year, I will think of every bad thing that can happen on that trip and not be able to sleep. Well, here we have Peter. Uh, Peter is not just expecting. He's been told what's happening the next day. You know, sometimes, uh, a couple weeks ago, I had a bad Saturday night before Sunday service. I was just thinking about snow coming in. Was it going to come in? Was Steve going to be able to make it? Was it going to come in while we're in church? Would Steve be able to make it home? Steve, you've got to get four-wheel drive. <laughs> but one would think that Peter, facing execution the next day, would have been unable to sleep. But one would have been wrong. He slept like a baby. And I don't mean he woke up three hours and cried either, okay? Verse 1 says, Now, when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. Luke makes very sure that we know what follows happens as he says, the very night before Peter was to be executed. Okay, uh, Luke is very clear on that. Normally, as I've mentioned before, when a prisoner is chained to a guard in prison, he is chained to a single guard. 
one Roman soldier was enough to guard somebody through the night. But because the Roman soldiers and because the Roman soldiers knew Herod Agrippa's intention to have Peter executed, and knowing that there had been mysterious jailbreaks by these Christians before, the guards decided to double their guard. And Peter was chained to a guard on each side. Now, how could Peter sleep the night before his execution, chained to two Roman soldiers on a hard prison floor? John MacArthur uh, pointed out that Peter had the benefit of a clear conscience and also of Jesus' prophecy of Peter's death as an old man. Back in John 21, 18 through 19. Because when, uh, when Jesus was facing his own death, he said to Peter, yes, you will. Well, here's what he said. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And in parentheses, just so you know, Luke adds, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. End of parentheses. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter could sleep like a baby because he could not die. Okay? It was not possible for him to die outside of God's will. Neither can any of us. We can't die accidentally. We can't be killed. We can't die of illness. We can't die of old age outside of God's will. If you believe in the sovereignty of God, you are safe in God's hands until God calls you home. I preached this 30 years ago in Twin Peaks and a dear lady named Helen Phillips. Afterwards I heard her, she was in her 80s, getting a little bit infirm and time was taking its toll, but after the service she was, I heard her telling her friends, Mike Johnson says I can't be, die before my time. She says I'm immortal. And I said, you know, Helen, I didn't say that. You know, Jesus said that. Scripture says it. And you're immortal until God calls you home. You're immortal now. Jesus said in John 6, 41 through 47, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph? whose father and mother we know, how does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. And not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Jesus says, whoever believes. 
has eternal life. He does not say will have. He does say that in other places, but in a number of places he says, if you believe, you have eternal life. Awakening, unless the Lord returns in our lifetime, our bodies will die, but yet we have eternal life. Awakening to the presence of the Savior will be like waking up from a bad dream. I don't know about you, but sometimes my life does seem like a bad dream. But waking up to the presence of the Savior will be like waking up from a bad dream to never again have a bad night. On to Acts 12, verse 7. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly, and the chains fell off his hands. Now, the construct angel of the Lord uh, comes from the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Torah. Uh, And when they use the phrase, the angel of the Lord, they mean God himself. But an angel of the Lord means that God is interfering, and interfering is a rough word, God is now entering into dealings with man. Anytime it says angel of the Lord, an angel of the Lord, God is inserting himself into history. So here it says, an angel of the Lord stood next to him. Not God himself, but an emissary, a messenger, which is what angel means. You know, every, uh, every quarter we have a messenger's meeting where somebody from our church, usually the pastor, but doesn't have to be, goes to our quarterly meetings of the 11 churches in our association. It's called a messenger's meeting, probably because it sounds, uh, you know, if, if they say, well, Mike's going to the angel's meeting, either I, you figure I'm dying or they got the term wrong. But it, it's the, we call it the messenger's meeting because that is the word that is used here that we translate angel. Now, to get back to our analogy of a sleeping child, a messenger of God appears and Peter does not wake up. Okay, so we got it so far. And then, angel shines a light in the cell, brilliantly lighting up this cramped jail cell. And Peter does not wake up. Now, it doesn't say so in Scripture. And remember, we have a, because of the shortage of papyrus, they think that everything is written very quickly. But it doesn't say so in Scripture. But I can see the angel calling softly to Peter, Peter, you know, get up. But Peter doesn't wake up. And again, it doesn't say this, but I can see the Peter nudge, uh, the angel nudge Peter and again say, Peter, get up. But Peter slumbers on and then the scripture does say he struck Peter on the side and woke him now visualize this with me Peter's lying between two soldiers I don't think the uh, angel bent over and I think he kicked Peter (laughs) okay really in my mind's eye uh, Peter doesn't get up and uh, the angel kicks him okay in the side now And the angel of the Lord wakes Peter up. This does work. And so what does he do now? Now, keep in mind our children. He says, 
get dressed quickly. And what an interesting thing in the Bible, every time that there every time God rescues people, think back to the Exodus at the Passover. God always says, do this quickly. And I have not worked this through. Why does God always say work this quickly? Every time somebody's getting out of jail, he says, you must do this quickly. When Paul has to get out of Jerusalem through the wall, it's do this quickly. And I, in my own human mind, sit here and say, you know, God doesn't have to have them work quickly. What is the fact that God wants people in their human agency to do these escapes quickly? And someday I'll figure this out because I do not know why these things have to be done. God can slow down time, but he does not. Anyway... There's an urgency involved. Get up quickly. Leave immediately. So traveling on in verse 8, the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And you wake up a kid in the middle of the night, you know, you put them down on somebody's couch or the spare bed and they're asleep and you go in and say, okay, we're going home now. Let's put on your jacket. You know, give me your arm. Maybe none of you have ever done that, but I have. Give me your feet. We're going to put on this shoe. So anyway, the angel says, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And Peter did so. And the angel said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. So again, the angel is giving instructions as though to a sleeping child. Get dressed. Let's put your shoes on now. That's good. Now let's put on your coat. That's a good boy, you know. Now, follow close behind me. And so Peter does. Verse 10 says, And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what, he was, that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Now, have you ever had a dream so vivid that you thought it was real? I mean, I've had dreams in the night where somebody had died and I had to make sure when I woke up in the morning and make sure they hadn't died. I mean, that's how real it was that I did not know it was a dream until I talked to that person. I think everyone has had something like that. But this isn't that. This is the opposite. Reality so dreamlike that Peter thought it was a vision. And that was not... That was not an unreasonable thing to think. It wasn't that long before that God gave Peter a vision, instructing him to accompany a group of Gentile strangers to Caesarea, to the house of the centurion Cornelius. Scripture doesn't tell us if this was common occurrence among the apostles, but we do know this from Scripture. The apostle John was given an extensive vision of the future, that he recorded, and we're reading through it as our New Testament reading, the revelation of uh, John to uh, of Jesus Christ to John. The Apostle Paul was given a vision not only on the road to Damascus uh, of Jesus, instructing him on what he was going to be doing, but also later on where Paul says that he was caught up to the seventh heaven and given visions so wonderful that God gave him a thorn in his side to keep him human, basically. So, we don't know how many of these apostles were having visions from God during this time. 
but it was not unusual. It might not, not have been normal, but it wasn't unusual. Verses 10 through 11 close out this escape from jail. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Peter here has finally awakened. Not from a dream as it turns out, but into reality. The angel disappears, leaving Peter standing alone on the, on the streets of Jerusalem. And it is only then that he realizes that he is awake. And where they suspect that uh, Peter was being held... There were two doors. You could leave this jail by one of two ways. One took you to the temple. One took you into the city. And he found himself on the streets of Jerusalem. The the angel had taken him out the jail to the exit that went into the city. This is when he finally realizes that he is awake. You know... Man has come up with a number of aphorisms describing success in this life and concern about what comes after life. Um, One common phrase is, you can't take it with you, okay? You've all heard that, which which can either mean that uh, spend it all now so your kids don't get it in your lifetime, or um, Concentrate on something other than wealth. People would rather spend things now than concentrate their lives on something other than wealth. Many times, another saying, which I've seen on t-shirts is, the one who dies with the most toys wins. Right? Sort of a corollary to the first saying. One you've all undoubtedly heard is, no one gets out of this world alive. Hmm. The Bible actually deals with each three, uh, each of these three sentiments, if not the actual phrase itself. You can't take it with you. Means this life is all there is. In the way, in the words of a old, I think it was a Schlitz beer commercial. You only go around once in life. Grab for all the gusto you can, right? That's the old, you can't take it with you. The, the Apostle Paul warned against this thinking in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 32. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If that's all there is, we might as well party. We might as well eat and drink. It doesn't matter what else we do here. Just eat and drink, for tomorrow you die. But Jesus said in Mark 8, 34 through 38, he said, And after calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake 
in the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And does the man who dies with the most toys really win? Okay. Uh, Jesus deals with that in Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there is your heart also. But what about the saying that none of us gets out of here alive? Everyone dies. We saw before that Jesus said, all who believe have eternal life. In 2 Corinthians 5, 5-10, Paul expands on that, where he says, So, we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Paul knew these truths as he slept between two guards awaiting execution in the morning. He knew that to be absent from the body was to be present with the Lord, even though Paul had not said that at this time. If you are a Christian, if you are a believer, if you are one who has put your trust in the Lord, you can say along with Paul in 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 12, Be not thou therefore ashamed, or be not ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. Be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purposes and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death, and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I read that in the King James. I know I never do, but I like that language. If you too know who you have believed and are persuaded that he is able to keep that which you have entrusted him with for your life, every night you, like Peter, will sleep like a baby if nothing can harm you in this world. If 
the afflictions that are coming will not take you, take your soul. You will always put your head down like Peter did and sleep like a baby. And I hope that when that time comes and the Lord calls me home, and if it's in sleep, an angel comes and gives me a kick in the side and say, it's time to go. So let's close in prayer.